Happy Halloween. I don't even know if, you know, people our age should celebrate it anymore. But you know what? We are. Uh, Kevin's Corner is back. Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley, Rosie Bowen will be an egg for Halloween. Okay. Her father will be a slice of bacon. <laughs> and um, her mother, I believe, is going to be some toast. So we still got to work on the costume a little right. bit here, Chris. But, uh, yeah, that is the plan for a sa- Saturday Halloween dangerous yes. for the college kids. Oh, yeah. So are you actually making this costume, or is it kind of a pre-bought? So I have bought the bacon. I've been baking for it's crispy bacon. I, I've been baking for several years now. The egg needs to be made. We have some felt. Um, my artwork is, you know, about as successful as Philip Rivers sprinting. So <laughs> it, it's not very good. So we'll have uh, we'll have Mom, uh, Maddie handle that part. And it looks like decent weather. So yeah. Little Halloween daylight savings into a Colts perfect Lions game. Boy, nothing screams fall like that. Yep. Uh, and then NFL trade deadline. That's probably the biggest topic of the week that we'll hit on on today's podcast. As usual, we'll do our three keys prediction for the Lions game. Last I saw, I think it was two and a half points. Correct. Colts That's the last by. I saw as well. Yeah. Interesting. Those lines are going to be, boy, you know, the Colts were touchdown favorites and seemingly three of the first six games, maybe even more than that. Um, but they were certainly favored in a lot of them. And I really feel like that's going to flip. You're going to see these, you know, field goal lines that yep. you're, like you're seeing right now. And then obviously, when you get into some of these games in November, they'll probably even be a bit of an underdog in some of those. So, have they been an under? I don't think they've been an underdog yet. I don't. Was the Cleveland game their underdogs? You know, I'd have to go back and look. I don't. I don't remember. I don't recall off the top of my head. If yeah. so, it would have probably been around five, five and a half. I would right, want to say. Right. Yeah, it wouldn't have been anything huge by any means. So. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll give our prediction as the Colts travel up to Motown on Sunday. And then we got about 10 or so Twitter questions to uh, get to as well. You mentioned it. Election Day, 4 p.m. next Tuesday <laughs> as the world awaits uh, certain news. Obviously, football fans will be tuning in and, and following along on Twitter to see if their teams make any moves. You don't feel like the Colts necessarily should. You want to give us a couple reasons why? Yeah, you know, and, and I guess when I say make a move, Chris, I say make a substantial move. And that, to me, is giving up, uh, I'd say, a top five-round draft pick. Okay. That That's kind of maybe where I throw the cutoff. Sixth or seventh rounders, That they're pretty much coin flips. You don't see them involved in a whole lot of significant trades. Uh, moving up within a draft is what I'm talking about there, but... I guess what what I start off with is kind of my general thought process about the NFL trade deadline, which is probably one of the more overhyped trade deadlines in all professional sports. If you're going to be a buyer at the trade deadline, you need to buy to the point where we are a Super Bowl contending team. Right. Whatever breath, whatever sentence includes the handful of teams that can be hoisting it come February, you need to be in that sentence. And if you are a move away, okay, I I can buy. Um, and so I guess, again, I just wanted to get that out there. of just like That's kind of my general thought about being a buyer at the deadline. The seller can get a little bit finicky. You know, I thought the Colts should have sold in 2017 when they were a terrible football team. But um, basically, I, I think the Colts should pretty much stand pat. Obviously, if you can sell Jacoby Brissett. That, you know, but I, I don't think that, that that's happening. So um, let's start here with how improved would you get, mm-hmm. Chris? You know, um, I would say a surprise as we approach the midway point of the season is the tier of Baltimore and Kansas City that we all thought coming into the year, or at least I thought, 
to me, that tier, Pittsburgh and Tennessee are in that tier as well. Yeah. Certainly Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I think Tennessee is, but the Taylor Lewan injury and now with their schedule toughening up, we'll, we'll see how um, they can hold up, especially with playing so many games the rest of the year with an early bye. But, um, but still, um, the AFC has gotten better at the top. And so I look at it and say, would this move push you to the top of the AFC South? Would this move push you to winning multiple games in the month of January? And in my opinion, that's unlikely. Um, it, it's it, again uh, another caveat I probably say about if you're a buyer at the deadline. I also have this little well, especially given that there's uncertain future at quarterback. That that is always front of mind for me as well. Um, you know, would adding another wideout or a more proven pass rusher, uh, you know, help this team? You know, sure, but. If you're going to all of a sudden make a move that gets you into legit conversation of being an AFC contender, to me you're giving up way too valuable resources for what you need to address at some point very soon, potentially next April. Um, So I guess that kind of leads into my next point of there is that long-term quarterback question that is definitely in limbo. Um, From what I've seen from Phillip Rivers, he has not played at the level to where I would bring him back without even a seed of doubt. That's me talking, not the Colts talking. I expect them to bring him back. But, um, again, uh, with that sort of carrot dangling, there's like a domino effect that if you're spending this precious draft pick on a short-term rental, that probably isn't going to push you into that top tier of being a legit contender then that's the issue that I have with, again, the low, the long-term quarterback answer because you're constantly in search for it, and when you're constantly searching for it, any sort of move will be scrutinized based off kind of that decision that must be, be made at some point. It's, mm-hmm. it's like the DeForest Buckner thing. Yes, a, a great player, and has played at an all-pro level, but when you don't have the most important position solved – and you were drafting at 13 at the time, closer to trade up, potentially for a Herbert or a Law or a or a Tua, that's where things get a little bit more scrutinized. Right. In that scenario. Um and then I would say lastly, it just comes down to the future resources are a bit more scarce than they were in previous off seasons. You know, Chris Bauer did such a great job in those early drafts, twenty eighteen and nineteen off seasons, of trading back getting that extra second-round pick. You know, you had the Jets, you had Washington involved in that. You don't have that anymore. So um, you don't have a copious amount of cap space either, and then it's kind of an uncertain cap future right now with what that's going to look like and all all of the um, you know free agents that we've talked about here in 2021 coming up as well. So um, – I, I just don't think the Colts are in the same position they were in 2019 or, um, you know, even 2020's draft with having that additional second rounder. So if you're giving up a fourth rounder for a short-term rental and I don't think that that move is all of a sudden going to put you in a Super Bowl spot and you bow out early in the playoffs, now you get to April and if you've got to give up a first and a third or a first and a second mm-hmm. or something like that, now you're only draft, and you know we know Chris has had great success in the fourth round, especially, and with some of those third round picks. So um, when you think about the cap space situation, Leonard Nelson Smith, those guys getting long term deals as well, 
you just aren't in the same sort of spot. So um, that's kind of my thought process on yeah. it. Uh, you, you have any thoughts, any any questions, I guess? or No, I think you summed it up perfectly. And, and as always, if people want to go and read more into what you just spoke about, they can go to 107.5thefan.com. The article's up. You have other articles up as well. One thing I did see, and obviously a team that we're playing this weekend in Detroit Lions did make a move for Everson Griffin. Yeah. Correct me, he won't be able to play against the Colts. Correct. Yeah, that's another thing to mention. You've got this five-day protocol with COVID that, you know, when these trades happen, again, you've got to sit for for five days. And I, I think there's some level of quarantine and testing. That has to happen, so I think that plays into it as well. That's why we're starting to see some early trades yes. here before Tuesday's deadline, like you said at four. And you know, I'm I'm curious, Chris, if the Colts make a notable move, which I would consider the Everson Griffin move notable. Um, you know, I don't think what like San Francisco did to get Jordan Willis is that notable. The Yanni Kangakwe news certainly falls into the notable category. I'd be curious of like how win now is that move? How much is that like Detroit? They're three and three. They are not a realistic playoff team in my opinion. But Bob Quinn and Matt Matt Patricia are on the hottest of hot seats. True. Yeah. So if the Colts make a move of I'm boy, Frank Chris, that's not like you guys to make that move. And I it, it sucks because you have to come to the reality of like admitting that don't really feel like that is going to be the move that gets us into that category. And that's a tough realization to come to. And there are teams that panic mm-hmm. and make those moves. But I'm just not going to jeopardize a limited amount of draft capital right. that you currently have with the thought process that you could and need to trade up for a quarterback. Uh, obviously, wide out, pass rusher, the Colts need to upgrade there. And I, who knows, maybe Michael Pittman's a jolt, maybe Kamoko Turi is is your jolt and that's kind of like your pseudo trade deadline moves but it's just precious capital especially when you think this team's gonna win whatever they're gonna finish here above 500 I think we all believe that well if that's the case you're gonna be drafting a little bit later so moving up is gonna cost you correct a little bit more as well um so yeah selling maybe Brissett. you know we had that question on Monday you know, Walker, I guess, is the other name. Again, I, I still don't think that would happen in an ideal world. I think you'd move Jacoby Brissett. That's me, again, talking, not right. the Colts. But, yeah, the whole buying thing, it's tough. Um, I like aggressiveness, and at times I think it's necessary, but I just don't see this football team being there with the thought of you need those resources for the future quarterback. Right. And you mentioned it. It could be a jolt. Fans always like to make some sort of splash, something different in the season. Let's just hold off. Let's wait for that splash, if it does happen, to come during the draft. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm at. And seventh or sixth rounder, I probably won't lose too much sleep over that. But you start getting into fifth, fourth, that's when I, I still think you're in a decent enough position, Chris, to where let's say you're drafting 20 and you move to five or eight or something like that. You're going to give up a decent amount. You, you might give up a future like a 2022 mm-hmm. pick, but I still think you could have enough of the cupboard to where you can go get a future tackle right. in the third round or something like that. Go find a wideout. It seems like wideout classes continue to be deep. The Colts have struggled drafting wideouts, but still. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't think Chris and Frank feel that immense amount of pressure either 
internally to make the Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia move that we saw the Lions make with uh, with Everson Griffin. So, yeah, should be fun just because there are some deals that come out of left field that you know you don't use. I mean, the Cowboys are selling and and the Lions are buying. Like, right. who would have thought that? You do get teams showing their cards a little bit, uh, but I I don't think the Colts will make a notable move, and I don't think they should. To play devil's advocate, do you think this year's college football season is any indication that, like they did with the force, you know, you know what you're getting instead of going for a pick? Does the lack of certain film on some guys later in the draft make you trade that pick for what you've already seen on NFL game film? Um, that's fair. Yeah, it is fair. Um, but not enough to wheel and deal. You know, mm-hmm. it's just. Again, a sixth or seventh rounder, okay. But, you know, when you get in the fifth, you get in the fourth. And I also think you can look at the draft one of two ways this year. Yes, that's one way to look at it of the film this year might not be as level ground evaluating as it has been in years past. But then that, to me, leaves the room for guys to fall through the cracks as well. True. You've got a Wisconsin kid that might only play four or five games if if mm-hmm. they're going to have a shortened season or whatnot. Or what do those Pac-12 kids look like where they might have a little bit of a shorter season? So you can kind of look at it both ways. But knowing Chris Ballard and how much he loves the draft picks, and then also knowing that you still have the future quarterback, you're in purgatory, which to me is hell. I want as much as I can get. Cool. All right, well, you answered, I think, a lot of people's questions as they're listening to the podcast. Do we want to jump into some that have been asked over Twitter? Yes, 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 yes. All right, well, let's kick things off with RC, who asked, where is Hines? There were a lot of expectations for him this season. Is he underperforming, or am I getting a bad read on that? You know, from a playing time standpoint, RC, he has not been on the field anywhere near as much as he was week one, which is interesting because he had Mac healthy at least for a couple series. I want to say his play time is... um, it's like right around 30% over the past month or so, um, which it was over 50, if I'm not mistaken, week one. Um, now, certainly, Jonathan Taylor is taking on a much more mm-hmm. expanded role. And, and and remember when Mac went down, Chris, I was like, you know, everyone was probably scrambling to, to you know, pick up Hines and fantasy leagues. And I was like, when Mac has gotten hurt in years past, it hasn't all of a sudden mean Hines skyrockets in, in, in playing time. His yards per carry number is still really low like Taylor started to run the ball better I think it's four and a half over the past month or so I want to say for the season Hines is like at three which that's kind of been him in his career he's not been a great yards per carry guy so I would like to see him more involved in the pass game still Um, we are we have yet to see him give you the offensive jolt that he showed at NC State he was not drafted in the fourth round purely for special teams. Correct. He was drafted in the fourth round because he was this explosive guy at North Carolina State. So, yeah, RC, I am a little bit surprised just because I felt like from a body number standpoint that he would maybe see a little bit of an increased role, but that's kind of been Reich's MO that he hasn't all of a sudden taken a huge jump in playing time. But um, you know, maybe if they do go up tempo, maybe if they do some no-huddle stuff, he is a guy that will factor in more. Kevin Tanner wants to know, what do you think this line looks like with a healthy Ture, and how does he fit? Yeah, well, I, I'll start off by kind of 
reiterating what I said on Monday of, you know, this could be a couple weeks with Ture. You know, we'll, we'll see what he looks like in practice. He did practice today. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe plays against Baltimore, but that would be six practices before. I don't expect him on Sunday against Detroit, but I, I stress maybe there. What does the line look like with him? I don't play him on first or second down. I, I just don't think he's a great early rundown player. And I want to save his legs for the pass down. So my third down package would be him, Buckner, probably Autry and Houston. So I would take out Muhammad and put Ture in there for him. Um, You get creative. You know, we still haven't seen the dime package from the Colts a lot this year where you have the six defensive backs. You know, I think Green Bay, for example, I think would be a great time to use yeah, kind of a three-two-six to where it's maybe Buckner, Houston, and Ture, and then the two linebackers. Because Autry isn't giving you the pass rush production that you thought he should give you, you know, earlier in the year. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I look at things. But I mean, edge, rush, speed, bend, get off. We talked about all that on Monday's pod, but certainly fifteen to twenty snap third down rusher. That's how I see him fitting as kind of a, a rotational guy up front. Mm-hmm. This one comes from Chuck, who asks, how many more losses will the Colts have at this point if they had traded superstar guard Quentin Nelson for assets in the upcoming draft prior to the start of the season and replaced him with a league average guard? Whoa. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Chuck. Okay. I wonder what yeah, – Chuck, Chuck – uh, boy, I wonder what's in Chuck's coffee. Um – how many more losses would the Colts have if they traded away Quentin Nelson? And wouldn't be getting anything in return right now. So mm-hmm. it'd literally just be Quentin Nelson's gone and Danny Pintner's your starting left guard or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, maybe one more loss. I mean, like, you killed the Vikings. Right. You killed the Jets. Yep. That Bears game was not as close as the score indicated. So I maybe lose to the Bengals. I don't. But having said that, I don't think there's been that many games to where, like, your run blocking's been that good to where it's like a Kansas City performance from last year or a Houston performance in that wild card game a couple years ago. So I, I'm not like looking at it and being like, man, that run game literally won you the football game. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the run game has been like literally non-existent. It hasn't been good, but like. You know, there's still been a couple moments, but not enough for me to be like, that's the difference between a win or a loss. Yeah, now, obviously, pass protection-wise, the Colts have been really good this year. They lead the league in pass protection right now, and with a far less mobile quarterback than the one they they had a couple years ago when they led the league. But, yeah, I mean, the Colts haven't really played that many truly close games late that they've pulled out. Yeah. Cincinnati would be the only one I would throw, throw in there, so... Yeah, maybe one loss, Chuck. All right, here's a fun one, fun one from Coco who says, you can have any skill position player in the NFL, but you still have Phillip Rivers at quarterback. You're on the seven-yard line with time for one more play. Who do you choose, where do they line up, and what play do you call? Mm. Mm. Damn. This is a good one. Coco, great yeah. question. <laughs> um, you know, I love multiple options. I'm a big believer in that. 
you know, I've thought to myself, okay, Notre Dame, Clemson in a couple weeks. If there's a big play on the goal line, what do I want to see? Okay, I'll maybe want to see Book give it to Williams, you know, have a read option element. Book's legs can make a play. Michael Mayer, show me something to tie it. You know, so I, I, seven yard line, that limits me in multiple options. I like running guys kind of off routes and mm-hmm. things like that. So when I'm at the seven, flat out, I would love to isolate a wide out just and hope to get man and have that wide out win. I, I like a back shoulder type of throw of, you know, can you give some sort of I'm showing potentially something down the middle, I'm showing something that could be fade, and the corner is reading that big time, loses some leverage, and then boom, you hit him with the back shoulder. Who would I take? You know, the names that always are kind of top of mind, and uh, the, the first name hasn't had as great of a year, but Julio and Hopkins are the two that I immediately think of. You know, who's a really good catcher of the football contested uh, is the kid that the Colts will see this weekend, Kenny Kenny Galladay. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't be up there, but, boy, he made some catches on Sunday against the Falcons. That was like, holy shit. Yep. So, yeah, I would probably say Julio Hopkins. Devontae Adams is another name that I like as well. You know, tight ends, I I don't know. I Am I forgetting somebody? The shifty wideouts, I, I just can't. Tyreek Hills of the world, and yeah, I. My bias it, is going to go with Kamara. Yeah, but with, with with him, I'm dumping it short of the goal line, and I hate taking that risk. And he has to make the play. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, trust me, I I, I love multiple options. I love Michael Thomas on the field, and you could potentially dump it as well. True. But I really want to throw the ball into the end zone, and that's kind of a fifty-fifty-ish proposition in my eyes. So. Yeah, Julio or Hopkins. Okay. All right, Colin asks, why does Eberflus and Baker not stick with Taekwon at the defensive end spot when he excels very well there? He says, I know that the Colts want him at defensive tackle position, but at this point we have questions long-term at at the DN position. My brother and I have been banging the drum for Taekwon to go to defensive end after the flashes he's shown his rookie year. You know, Colin, I actually think inside is his better spot. You know, I think outside Taekwon is still more of a power rusher. Uh, early downs, I could see him outside. But third down, no. I, I, I've i got enough bull rushers. Give me the 99-mile-per-hour fastball. Um, you know, he had some crazy production against the Bengals. It's something I put in yesterday's notebook, Chris. He had five tackles and 21 snaps. Yeah. Five tackles off the bench. Most tackles for a Colt reserve defensive lineman since 2011. You remember the name Drake Nevis? Yes. He was one of my favorite players. Just a happy dude, too. I miss Drake Nevis. I don't know what happened to him, but he didn't pan out. But he was he had some moments. He was one of the names on this list I was looking up anyways. Um, all right, back on track here. So... You go back and watch the five tackles. A couple of the plays, he's totally unblocked. And then I look at his production earlier in the year. I think he had played like 60, 70-some snaps and had two tackles. So, yes, really good against the Bengals. But, again, you know, you got to take the full six-game sample size so far for Lewis. So, um, I, I think he's a really solid kind of fifth defensive lineman. You need those guys. You rotate bodies. You're one injury away from him playing a whole lot. But I'm just not – I mean, maybe he plays a little bit more over Autry. 
early on in a game, but on third down, I don't necessarily see. Yeah, I guess maybe a little bit over Autry, but still, I'm not ready to say that with, with just a whole lot of confidence yet. All right, Cody wants to know, would you inquire about Quinn and Williams? Feels like it's top it's top talent for a lot less than the talent that you would get. Yeah, um, I mean, what are the Jets doing? Like, are they just, you know, are they are they going to trade everybody here? Like, is this fire sale like none other? Um, when I saw that, I'm like, are you kidding me? You just drafted this kid third, th- overall. third overall last year? He had a great game last week. I didn't watch much of it, but had a little scratch on Buffalo and knew that he was doing something there. So, you know, my only worry here, Cody, is just am I giving up another first-round pick for a defensive tackle when he probably ideally plays to force Buckner's position? I don't right. think he's a true nose. So, um, you know, I, I, I think he can still be a really good player in this league. But, you know, sooner or later, you've just got to start investing those top – I would assume it's going to take a first-rounder to get him. It's going to take a quarterback – Wide out, left tackle, like just these premier positions. And for your defense, you've obviously invested a whole lot in Buckner already. Yeah. So nothing against Quentin Williams, although I don't know how his effort, it seems to be a question with him, would, would play in a Matty Bufloos defense. Um, but no, I'm good there. This one's from JJ. says, the Colts have the 3-3 three and three Lions and then four games against good teams. What do you predict for the Colts' record for those five games? And what what percentage, pardon me, would you put that they lose all five? Lose all five. Wow. Um. Yeah, lose all five. Well, I mean, ten percent, five percent. Like you know, any team that goes on a five-game losing streak in the NFL, it's notable. Let alone a team that has shown you, you know, better than competent football for long stretches here in 2020. Yeah, I know it's tough, but like they're favored to beat the Lions, and then, you know, you would like to think Tennessee at home is. is Close to a coin flip, probably Tennessee a slight favorite. Right. Green Bay, I can't see them being favored by more than three and a half, something like that. Like those are still game. Baltimore at home again, you know them being favored by more than about four, especially coming off a very physical Pittsburgh game. Um, so yeah, winning one you would hope. What do I predict the Colts' record for those five games? Again, it's game by game predictions is so difficult when you're saying it five weeks in advance for some of these. Um, I'll say th- uh, two and three, three and two is kind of where I'm torn on. I think at the start of the year I had them beating the Lions, beating the Ravens, and beating the Titans at home. Mm-hmm. I'll stick with that. But there's a reason we do this Wednesday podcast every week, JJ, where I give an actual game prediction for that game. When I know injury situation – how that team played the week before, things like that. So, um, yeah, check back the next five <laughs> Wednesdays yeah. or whenever we do the second part of the week. Jordan from Texarkana has another question for the podcast. Oh, he's back again. Back again. He was just wondering, are the Colts not good at scouting wide receivers? He says, I love my team, but I often wonder how we drafted Paris Campbell over DJ, DK Metcalf, and next year we drafted Pittman over Claypool. You know, whiteout acquisition in general, Chris, has been pretty uh, pitiful for this franchise since about 2013. I mean, think about it. The free agent names is a, you know, is a haunted house. Hayward Bay, Knicks, Andre Johnson, Kamar Aiken, 
Devin Funches, I'm sure I'm forgetting one or two that people just don't even want me to name, so be thankful I'm forgetting them. Drafting-wise, Moncrief round three, Dorsett round one, even your ladder round picks. You know, the Kane, Reese Fountain. Uh, I mean, Reese is a fifth-round pick. I mean, you see fifth-round picks around the league at least play more than Reese, you know, has played now into his third season there. So, um, I know some people are like, you know, it's it's way too early on Desmond Patman, but you know, you know we'll, we'll just focus here with the with the Campbell and the Pittman thing. Campbell, the the drafting of Campbell was strictly for skill set. DK Metcalf is not what Paris can. How the Colts looked at it is this: we've got the big body in Funches, you've got who, a guy who th- still thinks is the number one in Ty. We need the slot. We need the speed guy. So I understood that and. These both of these things can be true. The Colts have been poor at acquiring wideouts. That is true. And secondly, the whole draft game that you play of could have drafted this person over that. It's such a just a hindsight twenty twenty game. Like the Colts could have drafted Andy Isabella as well. You know, like he was <laughs> in that range. Like yeah. you know, it's DeAndre Hopkins is five picks after Bjorn Werner. Well, let's look at who was taken after Darius Leonard. You know, it, it's just, it, it's such an easier game. But having said that, again, I think they've been poor at it. Um, the Campbell thing, I think if healthy, he, he gives you something. It's just injuries I think have played into more of these last two. The whole Claypool thing, and, and listeners of this podcast know full well, and, and Joey and I still text about it today, just what I think of Claypool. Honestly, going back to that earlier question about who would I want seven yards out, Claypool is is would be on a 15-person list for me. He just 50-50 balls. Mm-hmm. I trust him more than so many other people. And if you watch, and you know, I think we all watched that Pittsburgh-Tennessee game a lot on Sunday, he's much more of a gadget guy. Hell, he's covering kicks. Chase Claypool right. is on special teams. Like That's kind of his thing is he's he can fill kind of these – these different niches, but is he a hundred snap? And they don't need him to be a hundred snaps right now. Is he a hundred percent snap wide out? I think there's still some development there. So that's why I believe Pittman was more of a polished guy in how the Colts viewed it. Now, you know, Claypool has been really, really good in several games. He had uh, some other games where he just hasn't been much of a factor there. So um, I- I'm still going to say like, let's just, let's, you know, Let's hit a little bit of the pause button. Yes, Metcalf, stud. Injuries have played into it, but at the same time, we can sit here and say this team, free agency and draft-wise, has just not gotten it done in the old uh, wide-out evaluation. Yeah. All right, just a few more Twitter questions here. This one's from John, who has a stat for you. It says, not counting Jacksonville, with Darius Leonard on the field through two and a half games this season, opposing offenses have scored 21 points. In the two and a half games without Leonard, opposing offenses offenses have scored 57 points. It's looking increasingly increasingly like Eberflus defenses doesn't work when playing doesn't work without players at the three tech slot corner and the will linebackers. Does this foreshadow a Buckner like payday coming for Leonard and more? Well, John, I, I do have to stop you and say here's a stat for you: not counting Jacksonville, like. <laughs> You just can't ignore it. I mean, that was a um, that was a game. It counted. It counted as a loss, and your defense was absolutely terrible. So um, I can't go just fully there yet. 
You know, Leonard's presence, it's interesting, Chris. Um, because it's like, you know, when you say that, well, Leonard, the games he was on the field for, you also played the Vikings and the Jets. So um, I know that comes, comes off of like, you know, are you questioning Darius Leonard and, and what he means to the defense? He means a whole lot, but we've talked about it before. When Leonard has been healthy this year, we haven't seen the splash plays. Right. No sacks, no turnovers, two tackles for loss. The bar that Leonard has set, when healthy, he has not gotten to that bar this year. Hasn't really been close to it. And again, he has set the bar higher than arguably any linebacker yep. has ever set it in NFL history through two weeks. Um, so that's rare for him. And, you know, he's back to practice today, and I expect him to play. But um, he's still going to get paid a whole lot because he does give you the splash plays, and he gives you a work ethic that they absolutely love. And, I, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, talking to Joe Wrights about it, there is kind of an energy level that he brings as well that you shouldn't have to need that to play well. But, you know, I, I do think that is a small factor in things right now. So um, his return comes at a critical time because you talk about quarterbacks that can make plays with their legs. Mm-hmm. Tannehill, um, even Rodgers, you know, obviously the Lamar Jackson, obviously Deshaun Watson. You really, really want him back in the lineup. So absolutely, um, you know, as I say, it's looking increasingly like Eberflus' defense doesn't work without players at three tech slot corner and will linebacker. Yeah, I mean, Okariki and Walker. I don't think it played that poorly for you. You'd rather have Leonard out there, but to me, giving up the twenty-four, giving up the twenty. Yeah, Leonard. You know, maybe saves you a possession here or there, but. If, even if you're giving up 17 and a half, that's still not great. So um, he's going to get paid, but I don't think it's necessarily just because we're looking at a two and a half game sample size when, you know, you're playing the, the Vikings Jets and an anemic Bears offense. Yeah. All right. We've got a hypothetical question from Drew who says, I'm not saying Ballard should do this, but what do you think Mike Evans' trade value is with Tampa Bay signing Antonio Brown? and Evans' production already low at around 25 receptions and under 400 yards. Do you think he might be on the block or traded? No, I don't. I don't think at all. Um, I mean, why are good football teams going to give up good football players? I don't. And what, you're banking on Antonio Brown? I mean, (laughs) if Antonio Brown makes it to November 10th, it'll be a miracle. (laughs) Yeah, true. Like, so... Uh, and I know Chris Godwin, I think, is a little banged up. I mean, they, they've been a little banged up, including Evans, at the wideout position. So what would his trade value be? Again, I would assume a first-round pick. I mean, he's still very young or barely on that second contract. So, um, yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay's <laughs> squarely in the mix for a Super Bowl run. And I think what we're seeing in New England, you need to give Brady a lot around him. You know, Cam Newton obviously doesn't have a whole lot around him. And right. we're, we're seeing him wilt a little bit. So, Tampa Bay knows that they need a lot of skill talent, and Mike Evans is a very unique body type, and just because he hasn't played a whole lot or hasn't produced a whole lot, which I have him on several fantasy teams. As um, do I. <laughs> yeah, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, and his value, I think, going back, like you said, to the previous question of that seven-yard you know, that seven yard line play, your list of 15, he's probably on there if not yeah. close. So his value is around whatever whatever you, you put towards that question. Yes, and that's a, that's a really good point, so – um, again, teams are going to be slotted into buying and selling, and Tampa Bay, sir, you don't sign Tom Brady and become a seller. Right. 
Okay, the last one this week comes from CW. If Michael Thomas is really on the trade block, would you go for it if you were Chris Ballard? And what do you think it would take to make it happen? Well, obviously a lot of these questions, Chris, this week with the trade deadline. Um, it, I would assume it's taking a first-rounder. You know, he's not that old. I think he's still a couple years away from 30. But, you know, when you're punching players in practice, huge contract you're absorbing, you probably sit that one out. Mm -hmm. And, again, these players, Mike Evans, Michael Thomas, great players. Great players. You'd love them on your football team. But it's, you know, things are not just a Madden video game. And so um, love is consistency and reliability on the field. Um, I probably want a little bit more of a freak athlete if I'm going to give up a first-round pick. So knowing what you have at quarterback, because, again, you're going to be drafting late. And that's something um, I was thinking about earlier today of what the Pullian era did so well for several drafts was hitting on picks outside of the top ten. Freeney, Clark, Wayne, Sanders. I'm sure I'm missing some, but just several years in a row – and, like, I hear it from people at times, like, it's hard to hit on those picks. Damn right it's hard. But when you do, you can build Correct. crazy terms of sustained success long term. And the Colts clearly did that in the 2000s while obviously having the early picks of Edron and uh, and Peyton. And, you know, even if you go a couple of drafts before that, Tart Glenn wasn't a top 15 pick. At least I don't think he was. It wasn't top 10. Marvin Harrison, the same. Like, you were still able to hit on picks even before Peyton got here so what I'm getting at is just because you're drafting late in the first round if you can hit on that pick and they become whatever the net I mean even an AJ Brown start to a rookie career yes yes that's that's beautiful you're getting a rookie contract in your own system and a guy that's a very impactful player um so yeah no I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not doing it and my only addition to that is if Michael Thomas is throwing punches against teammates when he's got Drew Brees as his quarterback, you don't think he's throwing punches in Indy with Phillip Rivers? You don't think that frustration level is going to be there here? Yeah, I was going to say arm strength is definitely not in New Orleans either. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, punching, boy, I can't think of the last time. Yeah, punching players in practice doesn't good. And I know at times that we always make fun of, okay, horseshoe guy, this and that. Sooner or later, you just need some dudes. Yes, I tend to agree with that more than just – Again, a bunch of community Monday sort of things. But still, when you don't have that quarterback long-term piece solved and Pittman and Campbell, no one is, I think, writing them off. I, that would be unfair. Do you still need to make sure you're looking long and hard at wideouts? Yes. Mm -hmm. But I think writing them off at this point is still a bit premature. Campbell, I know the injury concern is real. But again, Pittman... Let's watch him play these final eight games and see what he got. Cool. Or ten games, whatever you got. Well, that does it for Twitter questions this Sunday. Back at it after the bye. One o'clock, CBS, Colts at Detroit. Kevin, let's get to your three keys. How about Michael Grady on the sideline? Love that. Love that. Andrew Catalan, James Lofton, Michael Grady on the call. Key number one to me, uh, Chris, we talked about him earlier. Plan for Kenny Galladay. This is a big wideout, dude. This is an emerging star. He needs to get paid. He made some stupid catches last year. Excuse me, last week and probably last year, too. You know, bigger wideouts. You know, we saw Allen Robinson make some plays a few weeks ago. This is one of the better wideouts the Colts will see all season long. And this can be a frustrating. This can be kind of what Cleveland did a few weeks ago. A frustrating. You feel like you got blanket coverage. 
and that dude makes some plays for you. So I would say the plan for him, staying a wideout, key number two is just your wideout stepping up. You know, obviously, we've talked a lot about T.Y. Hilton. Um, Phillip Rivers played against Matt Patricia last year. It wasn't pretty. Not one of his better games. Uh, last season, this is a team that will press the hell out of you. Think New England defense. Right. When you think what they have, Jeffrey Okuda has really struggled, having said that, as a rookie corner. But still, um, they're going to give you a lot of press. So if Pittman can give it a go, what does he give you there? Is Marcus Johnson a flash in the pan, or is this going to continue? You know, things like that. And obviously Hilton falls into that category. And then lastly, I would just say getting off to a, a – um, an early start, you know, the Lions have outscored teams, I think it's by an average of five points in the first quarter of games this season. That's pretty notable. Yeah. And then you look at it, and there is Detroit kind of hanging around, hanging around. And I don't know, man. I just have such a bad memory of the game here at Lucas Oil, week one, when Chuck, some sort of time air, and Stafford let him down the field for a late touchdown. Well, I, I forget the year. 2016 maybe rings a bell. Something like that. Hell, it would have been the last time you played the Lions. So, yeah, it would have been, uh, would have been 2016. Um, we saw it last week. I mean, you give Stafford a chance. This oh, dude yeah. will make you pay. So, the early start um, is critical because they are getting outscored in every other quarter. So, that's something that, that they do well. I think coming out of the bye week, considering how you've played the last two weeks defensively, that's a, that's a big emphasis for me. Yeah, and we know he's going to be – he'll sling it. He'll sling I mean, dude, stat, uh, I think it's the best quarterback the Colts have faced all year. I do too. Baker maybe gave you a few more issues outside of the pocket, but this is a really good quarterback. I mean, think of the QBs now down the stretch. Stafford, Lamar Jackson, Ryan Tannehill, Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill – Deshaun. Deshaun Watson, Derek Carr, Deshaun Watson again, I believe, mm-hmm. Big Ben, yep. and the Colt Killer Gardner. <laughs> yeah. Those guys can play the game of football decently well at the quarterback position. I mean, so great test, and we talked about it on Monday. I love it. We'll hype it up even more next week. I'm taking the Colts here, 24-23. I think it'll be close. I think the Colts get the four-minute drive late. And uh, don't give uh, Stafford that chance to get the ball back. Like it. Um, man, you really need it. You do. You really need it. Knowing what, what's what's coming up, which I can't wait for. I think fans should be very excited to watch this football team here in the month of November. This is, this is what you love. We're here. Um, you're getting some guys healthy back as well. No Moali Cox at today's practice. Um, so it looks like he might still miss this week, but they haven't put him on IR, so I'm like, well, he can't be too far off. So, yeah. You like Colts this week, or are you nervous? I had Colts 27-24. Okay. Going back, looking at what both offenses average per game, both what, what both defenses give up per game, I do get nervous, like you said, with the, the arm strength and the trust that Matt Stafford has. Um, don't want them to have the ball last, that's for sure. Did pick Colts 27-24, hoping Rodrigo – Gets a nice uh, late game field goal, and we just hold on to things. Hey, he's kicking inside, and no, no fans. Detroit yeah. is like Chicago in the no fan zone there, and like, I don't think the Lions are good, but they're good enough to scare you. And the Colts, I think, are good, but they're also 
scary enough to scare you in, it, in a bad way. Like, the Colts can lose this football game. Like, I am not in the in the capacity of, like, over I, – I think when the schedule came out earlier in the year, I was like, people will chalk this up as an automatic win, and I've thought about it for about five minutes. Like, I've – I'm still thinking about it. Obviously, 24-23 is not that big of a gap. So, To your credit, going back to the original beers with Bowen, going into the season, I stopped you when the when the schedule came out. I asked you, I said, Kevin, circle one or two of those games that you could see going an opposite way, and the Lions were one of your picks that you had the Colts winning, but you said, you know, I could see Detroit winning that game as well. Yeah, I think we forget. I mean, Stafford was the number one overall pick. I mean, this is a, a very good football player when healthy. Last year, they had success when he was healthy. So, um, I'm excited for Sunday. I'm, I'm the bye week is refreshing, but then I'm like, damn, let's play some football. Yeah. So I, I'm ready. Uh, Halloween hangover for those people out there. It won't be for Kevin Bowen, Rosie Bow, the egg. Um, we'll have her uh, not scrambled, um, not a scrambled <laughs> egg by any means. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get out. We'll do our little thing Saturday. Are you in the Halloween boat? Do we have a costume for Chris Presley? Do not have a costume. This year I will be going down to Cincinnati. My buddy's uh, child's getting baptized on Sunday, mm. so we're just going to take it easy. Huge Notre Dame fan, so we'll probably just stick in, watch some football, take it easy, be refreshed so that at 1130 when the baptism happens the next day, we're good to go. Irish Yellow Jackets this Saturday. Georgia Tech top five fight song in college football. It's a great fight song. Give a listen to it. The Rudy game. you get a chance. The Rudy game. He got the, got the sack or the tackle against Georgia Tech, right? Great point. Great point about that. Um, I've actually talked to Georgia Tech's head coach, um, and now Jeff, uh, what the hell is Young, his name? Younger guy, right? Uh, He's from Temple. God, you could tell how riveting the conversation was. <laughs> uh, I talked to him about Rocky Scene. Now i got to look this up. Um, I'm so mad that Georgia Tech doesn't run the option anymore when they had Paul Johnson. Yeah. Jeff Collins. Okay. Yeah, he did a great job at Temple there. All right, man. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great weekend. Next week, Monday and Wednesday pod. And remember, two weeks from tonight, beers with Bowen. We'll plug it here over the next couple weeks. Midseason review. Uh, Right before the Titans game. The night before that Titans Thursday nighter, we'll be giving away a $250 gift card to the Colts Pro Shop. Correct. And a few other prizes as well. So make sure you guys are tuned into that. We'll have some details up on the website very shortly. Everybody have a great week. Safe Halloween. And uh, we'll talk to you Monday.